0: Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 390. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by SlowFlowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers, And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 390. Our first sponsor spotlight and thanks goes to Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Our theme for 2019, 50 States of Slow Flowers, continues today with Connecticut. And because I was so wrapped up in the conversation I recorded with my guest, Evelyn Lee of Butternut Gardens, this is an extended state focus episode. A lot of exciting flower news is coming out of Connecticut, and I'm glad we took the time to discuss all of that, to share with you, and devote the entire episode to all things Connecticut. Evelyn joined Slow Flowers early on, and I've enjoyed meeting her on a few occasions and interviewing her for a farmer-florist article a few years ago. Ironically, that article appeared in Southern Farm and Garden magazine. And while Connecticut isn't exactly the South, the editors loved her story and wanted to include her in it. I'll share a link in today's show notes for you to read that article. Here's more about Evelyn Lee and her flowers. A number of years ago, with kids in college and beyond, Evelyn set her sights on the unlikely endeavor of creating a flower farm in the middle of the suburbs. Call her crazy, but she believed, then and now, that people truly appreciate fresh flowers and that people, our environment and our economy, all benefit from locally grown flowers. Butternut Gardens is a fabulous little flower farm, design studio and garden workshop tucked away in Southport, Connecticut. It is the only cut flower farm in Connecticut's Fairfield County, offering the freshest of blossoms harvested daily at the peak of perfection. No shipping, no storage, just rich, vibrant, delicious smelling flowers every time. Evelyn continues on her website. When you choose butternut gardens flowers, you also choose flowers grown in an earth-friendly manner on a bee-friendly farm by Evelyn Lee a -A -A NOFAA-accredited organic land care professional. Not only is her goal to bring the true beauty, fragrance, and, and astounding variety of freshly cut flowers to special events and the daily lives of her customers, she also wants to share knowledge and best practices for sustainable suburban gardening, landscaping, and land use butternut gardens flowers do not receive synthetic fertilizers and great care is taken to not only do no harm but also protect and enhance soil water and living organisms at butternut gardens plenty of flowers and pollinator friendly habitat remain in the in the ground uncut for neighborhood honeybees and an abundance of native pollinators which call connecticut and that little suburb home Evelyn strives to lead by example in her suburban neighborhood and she hopes to teach others about eco-friendly gardening practices that can be applied to their land and gardens as well. During the growing season, which is March to November, Butternut Gardens crafts an ever-changing parade of seasonal flowers, fruits, seeds, branches, and other interesting natural botanical elements from the several hundreds of varieties locally grown at her garden into seasonal bouquets and arrangements. You'll want to check out today's show notes for episode 390 to see photos of Evelyn Lee, her suburban cut flower farm, her flowers, and the little white flower cottage at Butternut Gardens, the seasonal retail flower shop, which we also discuss in today's episode. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing and today we're continuing the 50 States of Slow Flowers series uh, with a focus on Connecticut and I'm so excited to introduce Evelyn Lee of Butternut Gardens. Hi Evelyn. Hi Deborah. How are you? I'm great. I'm so glad we're doing this. You've got so much going on in Connecticut. We
1: sure do. It's I can't wait to tell you about it. It's wonderful.
0: Well, good. Well, I set you aside as a special, um, like, uh, whole episode because of all the things that are going on. And I got to visit Connecticut, uh, I guess, two summers ago or two falls ago, and meet up with you and several uh, of the other dynamic farmers, some of who have already been on this podcast, like Maple and Mom and Trout Lily Farm, and we'll have to get others on the on the podcast uh, episode too. You guys are doing some great things. And we're going to talk about the whole statewide effort uh, to promote uh, Connecticut-grown flowers. But let's start with Butternut Gardens. And I, I've interviewed bef- interviewed you before. You have a lot of um, kind of insights that are really relatable to people who listen to this podcast because of your size and your, your mix of, of flowers. So give us a snapshot of Butternut Gardens and where it is and... Maybe this what you're growing, and we'll I'll keep asking questions as we go from there. Okay, happy to do that. Um, the Butternut Gardens um,
1: was started in 2011. It is definitely a, a suburban flower farm, and I am smack dab in the middle of suburbs. One acre zoning, and my home sits on like 1.4 acres, and I started by digging up my front lawn and digging up my fr- back lawn and putting in rows of you know, beds four feet wide so I could lean over easily, wouldn't <laughs> have to go two feet in one direction or two feet in the other. And I have fencing around the front yard and the backyard. And in 2011, I actually went to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers national meeting in Washington, D.C., and wisely, in in hindsight, I decided to go out to the regional meeting for the Midwest out in Ohio, and then drove straight down. So I'm driving from Connecticut to Ohio and then drove down to Charleston to go to the Southeast regional meeting. Oh my goodness! And then up to um, Vermont for our Northeast regional meeting because association, especially cut flower growers has such great networking, such great wealth of knowledge through all of its farmers and the different regional areas. And I of course didn't know what I was doing when I started. And I, as many don't, because I have many other young or, or not so young but beginning flower growers coming to me to ask mm-hmm. for information. So I thought it was in hindsight, the best thing I could do was to go to all those
0: meetings and take advantage of the great wealth of knowledge. Wow. So, so you were like a super member at, you know, covering the yeah. the regional meetings, uh, which is great for networking too. Like now you have these, the relationships with fellow, yes. fellow farmers. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I dug up my yard, my yard lawns,
1: I put in my rows, put in my compost, and then early 2012, I uh, acquired another acre just two houses away, um, so I have growing space there as well. Your annex, I, that's your annex garden, uh, then. Annex, and on the annex, I now have a barn, which is a beautiful place for workshops. I hold workshops there, either for do-it-yourself brides wanting to learn how to do things or wreath making or you name it, all kinds of workshops. And that's where I get all my bouquet making done. I have a big cooler there. And then I also have my little sales cottage, my little white flower cottage. And in that, I did farmer's markets for a few seasons, but decided I really wanted to have flowers kept cool as best I Mm. could and wanted people to be able to come to the farm to be able to collect flowers. So I have a flower cooler, a little display cooler, it's self serve. You drive in whenever you want. You drive out. You leave money in a box, or you pay by credit card online. Um, and you can't get changed. So if you overpay one time, you underpay another. <laughs> I don't keep track. I have too many things to do to keep track of all the customers. I feel it's up to them to do that. And it's right. worked well. It's worked very well.
0: Oh, it, it's such a charming little uh, cottage. I've you shared pictures with me before. So let's be sure we put that in the show notes. Um, okay. It's so it's you kind of were ahead of well i don't know like there used to be these sort of you know coffee can bouquet stands you know back in the day out in the country but you're kind of serving a different customer in this more heavily trafficked area of the suburbs but it, you you you've had this for many years so you're kind of ahead of that uh on-farm sales trend that's rebounding right now
1: yes and it really is it is rebounding which is great so i i'm Sort of ahead of it. <laughs> I never feel ahead of anything
0: quite <laughs> Well, Evelyn, how did you like decide to dig up your front yard and your backyard in two thousand and eleven? Like, what were you doing up until that time? It sounds like you'd lived at this property for a while. What was I thinking? I've been here for twenty five
1: years. Um, you know, raised our children here. I've had an environmental um, background and worked with different. Uh, uh, Groups within my environmental work and planning and land use planning and greenhouse mm. gas emissions and wrote a few children's books along the way. But what I was thinking was, I have worked at a nursery um, along the way. I worked at a flower shop along the way, brief stints. I did. I studied horticulture at New York Botanical Garden, um, and then I I knew I wanted. To, I've known for a while. I wanted to do something with um, flowers or landscaping. And and quite honestly, I thought, okay, I. I don't think I can do the landscape work. I'm just not young enough. Mm. Um, little did I know how much work, you know, work does come into
0: this. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll, you don't I'll, need to go to the gym.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I will I will also pin this on a journalist. So <laughs> take note. Okay. Um, I think at one point in my my past, not too long ago, but not too recent, I was on a, you know, a flight from somewhere to somewhere on an airplane, and they have these wonderful airline magazine article is a little bit funky and i was reading along and oh turned a page and there was someone uh, coming out of a flower field with bundles of flowers on the the shoulders you know beautiful photo sh- photo shoot there mm-hmm. or this article on flower farming somewhere i don't know where but that just stayed in my mind that hmm that could be an option that you someone's growing flowers somewhere you know in our country
0: so wow. I got, love that. It kind of placed the dream in your head and then you just you let it sit until <laughs> I I found AFCFG on the uh,
1: web on the Google search. Yes, yeah.
0: Google oh, that's search. so interesting. Yeah. Um, so you're you had enough plant confidence to figure I can grow something from seed or I can Yes. I can yes, I can dive in. And then how did you decide what crops to grow? Um Well, I know I've added as I've gone along, but I
1: also, because I do know plant, you know, flowers and I have been a perennials Mm -hmm. gardener all along. So, you know, peonies and, and, you know, all the perennials, I had a lot, a number of them anyway. So I just, I was through the wonderful network of growers through, you know, across the country, uh, seeing what they were growing and then just what I knew about flowers, I was able to dive in mm-hmm. um, and then really the annuals, are, you know, the zinnias, the cosmos, the celosias, the amaranth, that was really my weak link because I really didn't grow those. So that was just getting in and almost like shopping and <laughs> having such a fun time with my shopping to see what I wanted to grow. And then, you know, it, it's been fine tuned as I've gone along either for wedding and event work, certain amaranth might be more popular than others. You know, the hanging amaranthus, right. so. It's been fine tuned, but just a lot of, um, you know, a lot of reading and talking to others about what, what to put in and, you know, to name names, you know, one of our uh, association of specially cut flower growers out in, um, Midwest who is now you know retired, but Joe Schmidt was, is, I mean, everybody was so great sharing information, mm-hmm. shared some of his, his lists with me. And I just thought, well, that's, and not just me. I mean, he, he was, you know, very generous. So I do always feel plant people are just very generous people. And I love that. I do, um, workshops and presentations, and that's really one of my biggest points that, you know, I'm working with gardeners or, or, uh, garden clubs and people like to share if they, you know, face it, if you have a perennial plant and it needs to be divided, you're going <laughs> to divide it and you'd really rather give it to, you know, parts to someone else than put it in the compost. Absolutely. So I think that's where it goes. So, present day now, I am growing about 60,000, 55, 60,000 flowers, it cut stems a year. I do have my little retail outlet. I do bouquets to several specialty grocery stores, and I hope to expand that. Weddings and events. Um, I do. I may reduce that a bit. Um, mm. And then I do because it takes a lot of time from the growing. I mean, it's a whole another aspect. Let's,
0: and let's just stop for a second and talk about that. What is the nature of the, your wedding and event work? Are you selling uh, to DIY couples or are you actually doing the design work uh, for, the, uh, for the flowers? Everything.
1: So I will do everything from sell buckets to do um, do-it-yourselfers. Or if I do something in between, which is I'll sell buckets, and then they can do their table arrangements, and I'll do their bouquets or mm. something they're a little afraid to try. Um, or I'll do the full-scale um, design work for you know everything they need for their flowers for their wedding. But that's that crazy. Becomes, it's, it's very time-consuming, and it, I think it's really not where I'm, I'm necessarily headed. So I think I'm scaling back from that.
0: It it does help you have an understanding of your end user if you are going to start selling primarily to florists. I mean, I feel like you think like a designer when you have had some design, um, you know, background. And so that probably benefited you.
1: Exactly. And even something as little as, okay, I have peonies ready for a designer. It helps to know that I don't want that peony to be wide open on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. I want it to be in a less develop stage so that by the time they get to their event on Saturday, they have what they want, not something that's a little past its prime or so tight in bud that it never gets to that point. So it, it does help to know, you know, the whole cycle of not just how to grow a flower from seed to to a flower, but then
0: what happens in that bud to full opening stage. That's right. So I have another question about your your physical plant. Like what you, you farm on your property where you live. And then how did, did you actually purchase this neighboring property or lease it or the, what, where, was, where did that come along? I was fortunate enough to be able to purchase it. So that was very helpful. And, and is there a residence on that or was it just a vacant lot?
1: It was a vacant lot. It now wow. has my barn, which is really helpful in my little sales cottage. And it is. Oh, that's off- That's where the, Oh, okay. So that's just down the street from you then. That is, that is. And it was, it is helpful, Connecticut, and many other places, because that is only farm use. I am able to uh, reduce my real estate taxes on it. Otherwise, it would be sort of impossible to farm in the suburban area I'm in.
0: Interesting. So, so describe where you are in Connecticut, and let's talk a little bit about the state because <laughs> I know I love yeah. I love that you gave me the dimensions of the state.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so Connecticut is small; it, it really is. And what happens? We have the I ninety five corridor along the our, our coast um, of Long Island Sound. So that runs basically sort of east west, um, and we are small in that we're one hundred and ten miles along the you know that east west coast, and then only seventy miles you know going north south from the coast up mm-hmm. to Massachusetts border. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're not big. And, you know, you'd think, well, 70 miles, you'd be able to get, you know, all the way through your state in an hour or hour and a half going the other way. But along our coast, we are extremely congested. And, and, you know, it's suburban, it's urban. We have train transportation, but we just have a lot of, you know, traffic going through our state to get either to New York or Rhode Island or Connecticut, you know, up to Massachusetts.
0: you know, up- I've, dr- I've driven on that I-95. Um, it feel like there's two lanes in each direction, and it's almost like a a parkway instead of a freeway, at least well, the section I was on.
1: Yes, well, we do have a parkway, the Merritt Parkway, which runs parallel just a little bit farther oh, north. Oh, okay. Miles north, and that is a parkway. But then we do have 95 is three lanes, but quite honestly, it's not, you know, any during rush hour in particular, I mean, it could take you you know an hour to go 10 miles Jeez. which makes it hard and and you never know unfortunately of course we're not alone but if there's an accident or construction or something of that sort it makes it tricky to get around
0: so um, and here. yeah for you it's not like you're in um i don't know say some midwestern area yeah. where there's like a one big metro market with hundreds of miles of prairie or farmland around it like a hub and spoke you are just it's just dense everywhere. It sounds like. Right. I, I, I drool when I think of (laughs) what you just described. (laughs) So, so getting, uh, getting, building your market is, you've been up against this issue then. Yes. Um, so,
1: I mean, what happens is then a lot of our farmers, vegetable and fruit and, um, flower want to come down to the, I'll say the congested, want to come down to our coastal area where Mm -hmm. we are more populated. Um, and that's great, but then as we look at for a farmer's market, you come down once, you're there, and then you leave. But for actually on a daily basis or several times a week trying to move flowers around the state and two different markets, it's it, it presents some
0: challenges. It does. Right. And I, I know that you, in the past, have delivered into Brooklyn. I think that might be when I first found out about you. Were you selling at Stem's? I was selling at stems and also, uh,
1: one of the flow slow, uh, flowers, uh, dinners was in Brooklyn right. and I provided flowers, um, for that. Oh, um, right. I- for Molly, I- Molly Culver's Molly designs. Yes. I did not do the design work, but I just, I did the flowers. So yes. Yeah. I just gave, you know, thought this is great. I remember yeah. that we met up there. Exactly. Exactly. And I did, um, deliver to Brooklyn. And it was, so I know a model that works for ordering online and delivering and, but it's, again, it's how much time does it take to get somewhere? And particularly Brooklyn, Brooklyn's as rough as, you know, it looks like you're five miles away, but then you look and see ETA
0: is 30 to 40 to 50. Mm-hmm. It's, that's a tough nut as well. Mm-hmm. So are you kind of suspending that, uh, that distribution? Well,
1: Yes, but never, never going to say never again, because I think we, you know, we could look into it. Mm
0: -hmm. So right now, Butternut Gardens is selling uh, primarily through your on-farm retail outlet and to local specialty grocery stores, and then in some other manner to florists, right?
1: Yes. And in a more limited manner to florists. And I also do have a subscription service Mm -hmm. and I've been delivering to people's doorsteps. Um, oh, me. Once a month, once every two weeks or once a week as they want. And sort of, they leave the bucket out. I put the flowers in and I go, they don't have to be there, but they come home to, or look out their door and there are their flowers. So I've had my uh, subscription, I call it a subscription service, but really a CSA. Yeah.
0: And Evelyn, are you a one woman show or do you have a uh, seasonal help or <laughs> a
1: one woman show, but a seasonal help is uh, definitely coming along. And I've had a few people helping me out last year, which made me think that, boy, this really could.
0: Oh my gosh. Benefit. Yes.
1: I wanted to see how far I could go and what all was required with everything. And I think I did that. So, and I must say it wasn't a great idea in terms of weddings and events because um, well, actually, sometimes my daughter would come help me mm-hmm. set up an event or my husband would <laughs> one wedding I did in Brooklyn. My husband drove one van in rented and I drove my other in and we barely got everything to fit. But um, I never pulled an all nighter in college. But <laughs> I have pulled several with the work because simply you can only start when you can start you can't start any earlier mm. and if, if you're doing 100 pieces you're doing 100 pieces yeah and just right? yeah
0: well you're kind of in a, in a transition point in many ways um both in your own business but in your connecticut community and i know you're at the hub of that so let's let's talk a little bit about that do you want to kind of uh walk us through what's been going on in the last year or two for your experience and all the that tribe in connecticut Sure, we are growing.
1: We are we are expand. You know, our communication amongst ourselves is growing, and some really really good things are happening. And I think that will help us all because there really is strength in numbers with this. Um, you know, a few years ago, I only knew a couple of flower farmers, and actually a few of them are no longer. Um, and then in the next last two years, I've come to, you know, meet a few more and a few more and a few more, and. Uh, Last year, um, 2018, in the winter, um, Eddie Farm, Connecticut, in the middle of our state, Newington, Connecticut, uh, sent out a little invitation to flower growers and any other – and floral designers, uh, farmer florists and floral designers who were interested in growing – using locally grown products in their designs – uh, for, to have a gathering, a very Mm. informal gathering last winter, which we did. And we had about 20 individuals, both, you know, farmers and designers. Uh, so we start, we looked around and kind of said, Hey, we're not alone. And okay. If you need a freelance designer, okay, there's someone you can call. Or if you need some flowers for a certain day, okay, let me know. This is what I'm growing. So that was very, very helpful. Um, so in a loose manner, we began, started to come together last winter 2018 and over the uh course of last summer we then had a a Facebook page to just for communication say I'm looking for you know blue hydrangea for this week or who has this or I have extra peonies so Mm. we started we we loosely formed something
0: (laughs) and roughly how many people were in that kind of uh cohort of of fellow farmers
1: we had well actual farmers. I think was maybe ten to twelve. Okay, but and some when I say farmer, I mean don't think big farm. I mean some of us are bigger farm, and some of us are you know a few rows of flowers. But sure. That's okay, that's uh, you know it all all helps. So the other thing that happened though, right after we had our winter meeting last year, um, I received a call from our University of Connecticut um, Agricultural Extension Service uh, wanting to know, would I do a 30 minute presentation on cut flowers for an annual event they have, which was their annual vegetable and small fruit growers conference for for growers.
0: How did they find, did they just know of you because you're kind of active in the, uh, farming community? You know,
1: I think that, and just the the power of internet search, Yeah. (laughs) so, um, and I, well, and I'm a master, advanced master gardener and I've given some talks on cutting gardens and flowers through the uh, master
0: garden. I see. So you kind of had some context with the master the extension.
1: It, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I said, sure, because I said we've never done anything on flowers and we've wanted something people have asked for it. So sure. Two days later I had another inquiry from same group. Um, would you do a full-day conference on, or could you do a full-day conference on flowers? And so I thought about this and <laughs> thought, well, I better, you know, you know, before you say yes, you better figure out, okay, what all would you say? So I quickly got together, a, uh, you know, an agenda and, you know, for some of the history of the cut flowers, because we've had a big cut flower market in, in Connecticut years ago, in the 30s. Mm. Connecticut growers, Long Island growers were the ones who supplied flowers to the New York city wholesale market. Sure.
0: It makes sense. That's,
1: that's who that's where they came from. So we've had a history and I wanted to go over that history and also look into the different markets um, where you could sell flowers with the uh, advantages, disadvantages of going direct to the consumer or having a cut your own operation or agritourism, whatever and then also bouquet making how, what you might put together for a market bouquet and what you might put together for other events and then also how do you grow all of these different things what are and what are people calling for what what does that floral designer want for wedding work so i put that together and the we got the you know it was like okay do you think we can fund this do you think we can go ahead with this and we had We thought, okay, if we get twenty participants, okay, that would be good. Well, this past January, um, we did the annual conference, and we had about three hundred people. That's was standard, and so that was the thirty minute presentation. And then the following day, we did this full day flower workshop, and we thought, okay, twenty people, and we had not not just twenty or thirty or sixty, but we had ninety five farmers or interested in growing mostly farmers but interested in growing
0: flowers so that this was just like a month ago right
1: that was just a month ago Jeez. so that was fabulous and and so thank you to i have to put in my little plug to yukon extension service and usda the risk management and also mary conklin who is with extension service and also at her raspberry knoll farm um doing fruits and small fruits berries and also some flowers um, For sponsoring
0: this and for mm-hmm. saying, okay, we're going to go ahead and do this. So, so Evelyn, you did have a little mini presentation in in January of 2018, and then it exploded well, within 12 months for 2019.
1: Actually, no, it, it, oh. those were both in, that was back to back in 2018. Okay, okay, and no, no mini in 2018. The full uh, day, the 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 the, the, full, the full day. day okay, 2019 for each of those. So, wow, word travels fast. Word dust. <laughs> so and, and I had people, you know, day before day of saying, Oh, could I do this next, you know, this full day conference or there's still availability. I said, I, I don't, I'm not in charge of that part. But <laughs> I, if you show up, I don't think we're sending you back. So I was able to do, um, that and we got a lot of people interested. So here we are. And as a result of that, um, we now have, um, a, a, for starters, a Google group. Um, thanks again to the extension service for setting that up. So we have a communication to forum um, and that's sort of in addition to our Facebook page. So we'll have to somehow figure out which way are we going on that. Yeah. But we now have ways of communicating and I can say, guess what? You know, on February 24th coming up, we're going to have just another gathering to go over a few things. Anyone interested, you know, let let us know. So, Uh, We have a way to communicate, which is more direct than whatever else we had before, which was not much of anything. Right. Uh, um, I am hoping very strongly what I've seen from other states, particularly Maryland, um, has a website for Maryland flower growers. Right. And South Carolina, the low country South Carolina growers has something similar. I mean, this is where I, I thank you, Deborah. Oh, so, so, so very important in, you know, getting the word out on what's happening all over because I wouldn't know about these opportunities or what's happening elsewhere if I couldn't, you know, search and find out that, okay, a podcast on this and we've looked mm-hmm. at hubs here and this is what's happening. So um, that's cool. I, a, a website that shows, you know, where our flower growers are located, what they do, if it's a farmer's market, if it's to designers will be one more step in alerting the public that we exist that local grown flowers exist and why we we do this i mean we all love flowers but there are other reasons of course while we're do, why we're doing this either you know for a you know local economy or uh, related to you know a little bit more sustainable perhaps methods of growing being kind to the earth and um, right. And then less transportation and, and just the seasonality and the blooms and what you can grow and some things don't ship well anyway. So, you know, what we, what a local grower can offer is, you know, is in so many ways is just gorgeous and, and very valuable to a local economy. So it, it also hoping-
0: seems like this sort of you alluded to this earlier, but like this this when you have numbers and this sort of groundswell of people showing up who want to be part of this, all of a sudden policymakers and state agencies start, like, finally noticing you and maybe supporting you.
1: I agree 100 percent. And I think we will absolutely be able to, you know, see more support in that direction. One of the things, as you mentioned that, um, we do have... um, Agricultural road signage, um, in conjunction with our Department of Transportation and Department of Agriculture, you can ask for along state routes, uh, you know, a sign that says, you know, here's a pick-your-own farm. It's mm. a very specific. And to your point, exactly, um, we don't really have a sign that accurate, accurately depicts cut flowers. We have alternatives would be a I think a trillium which is more natural and I would never cut a trillium or suggest anyone right put that. oh
0: my gosh it'd be more like for going to a um right. a nature walk or something exactly exactly and we do have sort of cut
1: flowers in a a, a basket or a, but nothing that really says bouquet right so I have been in touch with our uh, someone in our Department of um, Agriculture, and very happy to work with us to see what we can do to work with Department of Transportation and see if we can't create something that would be really, really wonderful for our our flower growers and have that
0: as you know potential road sign. It's not that I'm looking to put a million signs along the
1: road, but right?
0: But for people who have uh, on far- yeah, people who have on farm opportunities, this is just another way to become more visible exactly 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 and then Um, you mentioned there was a um connecticut grown program in place and how can uh, has that been for produce mainly or it has been well produce and um i guess livestock Mm, products
1: um anything connecticut grown i have you know i've used there is a very specific uh, uh logo and um you are able to use that for anything. There's certain things that the state produces for you. If you want point of, uh, if you want little label signs for your farmers market, and I've used those before. So we have the logo right on there that shows people Connecticut grown. What I have just completed. So excited about this! Um, uh, I have had our Connecticut grown logo put into a label size. Um, so that they can be put on bouquet sleeves. Awesome. Yeah, I think, and again, I think I learned this through one of your podcasts or somehow you've done the research for me already that, you know, having that point of, um, origin, uh, label really does direct people towards your product, particularly, and particularly since, you know, I think it's over 50% of, uh, flowers are now sold through grocery stores and you go into any grocery store and you'll find just so many different flowers. But, um, you know, a lot of, um, consumers, again, I think it's over half would love to buy local or, you know, don't really know the flowers where they come from. And if they saw that they grew locally or in state, that would be their selection.
0: So, um, your bouquets that you're selling at grocery, you have a butternut gardens, uh, label, correct? I do, and does I it, would. Does it yeah. say? Does it say uh, the town you're from, or? That? I well, I it might. <laughs> Quite uh, honestly, I don't know, and I don't have one to look at right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can might. picture your logo. It's a, it's a yeah. kind of a oval. Uh, oval yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It is, and I I think it does say Southport, Connecticut, and it has a website. Um, but
0: you don't you're not feeling like it would be too. I mean, you're okay adding a second l- label, basically, is what
1: I am okay adding a second label because I think it, for, this is Connecticut grown, and I think that would really stand out. But the other thing that's happening also is I had um, proposed a different sort of branding um, at this uh, full day workshop, mm-hmm. and a. Couple farmers said i really like that that would be wonderful so uh, i i think we might very well develop I you know develop a, mm-hmm. a our own individual um for connecticut flowers uh logo um but i also don't think it hurts to have connecticut grown so i'm uh, you're moving you know, I'm ahead not gonna, i'm not going to put three on one sleeve but <laughs> But honestly, if you go in and you see one says Connecticut flowers or one says Connecticut grown and they're sitting next to each other. Well, it it just to me that even reinforces even more that we have local product. Right. Right. I'm not I'm not necessarily adverse to that. And Connecticut grown is is highly visible because it's it's it is old and green and blue and Mm. and and. but I also, it, it may not be as beautiful. <laughs> Working in flowers and design, you really want something that's really beautiful. <laughs> so
0: well, it sounds like, a, yeah, it's a good interim step, it sounds like. And, and Exactly, exactly. Well, you have so much on your plate with um, this idea of the, well, first the conference and then the website and then the, you know, putting this group together and then doing the label and promotion. And all of this is just grassroots, right? There's no funding for this, right? Is it all sweat equity for for you and a few others? It is. Wow. What do you think you can handle then? Are you going to try to seek grant funding or? Well,
1: we'll see. Although I think for this year, we really want to sort of tackle moving ahead, getting flowers from different um, uh, growers to uh, the designers who want them. And that's, I think that will be, uh, grassroots for a while. We may, may, might do, you know, looking at Twin Cities Flower Exchange or the Piedmont area, mm-hmm. North Carolina, where, you know, they have required, you know, a small contribution from the growers and then a contribution, not contribution, but a payment from, um, uh, the designers for the you know the privilege of being able to work through your flower hub
0: right like a buyer's card kind of thing. A buyer's yeah. card exactly.
1: I think that might work. So it, it's part of the the our biggest challenge is the fact that it does take a while to go to drive to different places. Most designers I don't are not going to want to drive more than thirty to forty five minutes each way to get some hours or we have to deliver so really the the biggest challenge is finding hubs that would work um to be able to, or have a a uh, delivery fee that works
0: mm-hmm. to
1: get this out because no farmer wants to start driving around and spending the whole day and not being compensated for that because it's a whole day that's away from out, the field yeah away from the field and that's yeah. that's a little bit rough so we have to find what will work for everybody but Clearly, it works elsewhere. Um, it's just hard, you know. We aren't just Seattle, so we aren't just one hub. We really have to look at a, you know, a hundred and ten mile
0: distance and see. How would you? How would you slice up the state? Would you said um, you're you're closer to the coast, right? I'm closer to the coast in the
1: southwestern section, so I think that's sort of one area, and then we do have the central, a little more central area. We could even have something new haven area Mm -hmm. and then down on the other end the eastern end of the state which has quite a few designers because as you get to uh new london saybrook stonington you end up with some lovely lovely venues um for weddings so design work there is big and and weddings and events are big up, up at that end uh and then something up a little farther north i know we have Our northwestern area of the state has has quite a few, um, you know, events and weekend needs from, uh, you know, really in
0: some cases, uh, second homes from Manhattan, Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. as well as a population that is full round.
0: So it's almost like you're having to take the state and make micro regions just or like hyper local regions just because of all of the transportation challenges And so you're having to, you know, come up with that. will would be like a compromise to say, we're creating these hubs. But then that might help stimulate more activity from florists in that, in that one hyper region, if the farmers knew the florists would come to that. Uh, Wow. I wish you a lot of luck. That's, that's a, that's a, the fact that you have done some environmental planning in the past is probably really uh, helping with this. (laughs) I think it is. It
1: is. Uh, And Honestly, I wish we could just deliver in the middle of the night because that's the easiest
0: time to drive. So true, isn't it? Oh my gosh.
1: But the the short of all of this is we really, we are uh, coordinating and, and some of it will be, you know, going into something new and not sure what will work and then fine tuning. But I think we're, we're definitely growing and, and rapidly. So by next time, you know, next year, this time, I think what we could say about Connecticut would be just uh, even just so phenomenal even compared to what we've done so far.
0: That's exciting. Well I want the Slow Flowers community to embrace uh, this whole initiative and support you in any way we can. It's, um, it's inspiring and it's I, I just told you before we turned on the recorder that uh, one of your neighboring states just reached some people from Slow Flowers members from one of your neighboring states just reached out to tell me they're starting to create some kind of wholesale hub, and so this is, uh, and you know, you have other models, and uh, you're going to become a model that others will learn from, uh, and hopefully, just change the whole perception among the consumer base that there is a dynamic uh, Connecticut flower growers community and designers who want to source from them. So that's that's exciting.
1: It's very exciting. It is. It absolutely is. There are a lot of good growers. Here and in other states, and just getting the flowers to the markets is is what we want to do, and have the
0: public embrace that. But now it's the end of February, and you have to get out and probably start farming. I do. (laughs) What do you have going? (laughs) Well,
1: I you know I do have anemone and ranunculus going, so it it actually has started. And in another, well, by next week I probably will cut all of my pussy willows. So. Yeah, it, before you know it, March, you know, you get your daffodils and then your tulips and your quince and your, all your, before you know it, you're into it. And all the seedlings and all the, the plugs and transplants, it, it's April, March, April, May, it, it's, it's fast yeah. and furious, but yeah. I think, I think it will
0: work. And <laughs> if not, I'll just be pulling a few more all-nighters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I do think that you've alluded to the fact that you're harnessing some technology <clears throat> and some state agency support. Just just tapping into those resources is going to simplify communication and um maybe you won't have to reinvent the wheel every time you had a conversation. You could just send people links to things and um, you know, get them virtually plugged in. And uh, you know, but that cyclical uh life of a farmer where you get a lot of stuff done in the winter that's sort of admin related and then you what happens? You like disappear into this farming vortex for six, eight months that you just have to, as you said, pull all nighters. So it's a balance. I I hope you get some, you know, have, have others step up to kind of help carry the, carry the water on this one.
1: I'm pretty sure I will. And I'm going to carry that farming vortex. (laughs) I have an image that is so apt i'm going to carry that with me
0: through the season because that is exactly what it is it's kind of like if having it's like having a newborn like you're going wait did i take a shower it's, this week <laughs> it's <just> exactly <laughs> but that's where i i
1: really am hoping that um you know if i get some people on to help that i could put time into this and if it becomes a you know what whatever isn't volunteer anyway in life, right? You know. Right. It's it is. passion,
0: passion driven.
1: Exactly.
0: Exactly. Well, will you share some photos of uh, your farm and your flowers and uh, your your new label <laughs> that you're going to use uh, yeah. for our show notes? That would be really fun for people to meet you that way. Absolutely, i I'd, I'd be happy to. Uh, before we sign off, Evelyn, I I know we had a lot we wanted to talk about. What is there anything else that I didn't bring up that you would love to share with people? Um, well, I guess I, not necessarily, except
1: that you know someone who was flower farming said don't do it, and I guess that was what made me do it. <laughs> so follow follow your dream. I mean, if, if flower farming is it, I do have yes. A number of new uh, farmers contact me all the time and saying, well, I want to start up or I'm just going to start small. And I just say, well, look, it is a wonderful, wonderful way to live life. And outside, I'm, you know, I'm always looking at all of the things around me and the helping the mm-hmm. monarch butterflies. And I leave milkweed in some of my beds, which is not the best thing for me. I try to transplant other, but it's just it's so great to be connected to the soil to the earth and it's great to have this connection to other flower farmers and growers um we're we're doing some great things out there
0: well just just to think that you started only eight years ago and how this whole you know this whole industry has changed and the marketplace has changed in that period of time it's kind of paralleled butternut gardens growth yes exactly i i agree with that that's awesome! Thank you so much for giving us a snapshot of what you're doing, and also the larger state, the the larger news from a tiny state. And uh, I'm I'm inspired, and I know you'll be back to to give us the update, uh, not in not so distant future. Thank you so much.
1: I I would look forward to that, and thank you, Deborah, so much for you know doing state by state and finding Connecticut and supporting us as you have in the past. Thank you.
0: Thanks a lot, Evelyn. Thank you too, Deborah. Bye bye. For joining my conversation with Evelyn Lee of Connecticut's Butternut Gardens. I'm continually inspired by the momentum and energy that is taking place in key regions across the continent. What's happening with flower farmers and floral designers in Connecticut is also playing out elsewhere, spearheaded by creatives as passionate as Evelyn is. To be sure, we'll continue hearing their stories here on the Slow Flowers Podcast. Our second sponsor spotlight today includes a thanks to the Association of Specialty Cutflower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cutflower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Coming right up on March 23rd is the Urban Farming Conference in St. Louis. I'll share a link to registration details in today's show notes at deborahprinzing.com, and I hope to devote a future episode very soon to that conference, so stay tuned. Thanks so much for joining me on this journey, seeking new and inspiring voices, people with passion, heart, commitment, and expertise to share with you. I hope today's episode gave you at least one inspiring insight or tip to apply to your floral enterprise. What you gain will be multiplied as you pay it forward and help someone else. Truly, we have a vital and vibrant community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement. As our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at our homepage, deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor thank you this week goes to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds supplied to farms large and small and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at Johnny'sseeds.com. The Slow Flower Summit is five months away on July 1st and 2nd in St. Paul, Minnesota. Make your way to slowflowersummit.com to learn all about the many opportunities to join us from flower farm tours and dinner on a flower farm to business and branding presentations to interactive and inspiring design sessions, all created to serve you. Subscribe to summit news and updates at slowflowersummit.com. The Slow Flowers Podcast has been downloaded more than 414,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. Thank you all. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com.